On this show, we're trying to focus on the biggest solutions to climate change, but we're also focusing on the easiest solutions, which brings us to toilet paper. It's a a story that not many people know about, but it's a a shocking one to uncover. Toilet paper, the way that most major companies are currently making it, is catastrophic for the climate and for biodiversity. I'm Chris Stemp. I'm Donnie Stemp. No relation. It's the week of August 29th, 2022. The atmospheric carbon level is 416.5 parts per million. Welcome to the week on Earth. All right, start the podcast. We did it. I mean, this is it, really. This is this is the first episode. I can't believe you somehow dragged me back into another podcast. <laughs> you think so? You think when we were kids that I would convince you to do like a project? Wait, do I think? I don't have many memories. I vividly remember being handed a wig and like a dress, <laughs> and you being like, "Hey, go stand in that corner, say these lines, and I'm going to film you." <laughs> So we're laying out some goals for this show. We're trying to understand the fastest, most important climate fixes we can do now. We want to know the best ways to think and communicate about climate change. We want to understand the basics of the science so we have the agency, the power, to think clearly and act quickly. Bang for the buck, the easiest thing we can do now is vote. Short of that, something we can do today is change our toilet paper. Now, some people say that focusing on this type of small, fluffy, feel-good behavior may not meaningfully reduce greenhouse gases. But this one specific change, as it turns out, could have a huge global impact on carbon sequestration and the health of the largest forest on the planet, the boreal. We'll get into that story in just a few minutes, but first, we're going to quickly recap some of the most noteworthy climate stories of the week. It's time for the news of the week on Earth. Our top story this week concerns the landmark Inflation Reduction Act, the biggest climate spending the U.S. has ever made. Signed by President Biden on August 16th, the act authorizes $369 billion to combat climate change and incentivize clean energy. Now, much of this spending comes in the form of subsidies for industries and consumers to switch to cleaner energy, cars, appliances, and more. Another provision I'm excited about is this new fee imposed on companies for methane emissions, the first ever fee on a greenhouse gas. Overall, it's estimated the law will reduce U.S. greenhouse gas emissions by 40%, possibly more, by 2030. To reach these emissions reductions, it will require Americans to be aware of the law and the ways they can take advantage of these subsidies. So did you know that electrifying your home could save anywhere up to $2,000 a year on your energy bills? Depending on your income, the law provides incentives for up to $8,000 for a new heat pump, $2,500 for new wiring, $1,600 for insulation and air sealing, and $840 for electric stoves and ovens. It's a big deal. We will have much more on the Inflation Reduction Act and its impacts in future episodes. But for now, let's just celebrate its passage. It comes not a moment too soon. 
Because in more dire news, unprecedented drought and heat waves continue at a record pace across the globe this summer. According to CNN, rivers and lakes across the northern hemisphere have been shrinking and drying up amid relentless heat and low rainfall. The Rhine River in Germany, Europe's largest commercial waterway, has reached critical water levels this summer, affecting the ability of cargo ships to operate there. China is at all-time temperature records this month as the heat wave there continues for over 70 straight days. China's Yangtze River, the world's third longest, has dropped to its lowest level in 150 years, so low that previously submerged Buddhist statues dating back 600 years have been revealed. Here in the U.S., drought conditions have also revealed 100-million-year-old dinosaur footprints. According to The Guardian, severe drought in Texas has dried up the Paluxy River almost entirely. That's where the prints were discovered. It's better to discover dinosaur prints than bodies, which authorities have been finding in Lake Mead as that reservoir, the USA's largest, has dropped by 185 feet and now sits at just 30% of capacity. Monsoon rains in recent days are currently bringing up levels slightly, but these images of the shrinking lake are uh, truly shocking. Chris, you know, we used to we used to boat on that. I was going to say it. On that lake. I was going to say it. Like, this is climate change really hitting me where it hurts. My favorite part of Vegas, and I don't say that lightly, was Lake Mead. One of the most beautiful places, this kind of weird oasis in a desert that would just cleanse you of all your Vegas sins. Finally this week on Thursday, California just approved a ban on the sale of all gas-powered cars starting in 2035. According to USA Today, it is the world's most stringent regulations for transitioning to electric vehicles and is expected to prompt other states to follow California's lead and to accelerate the production of zero-emission vehicles by automakers. Yay, California. Shout out to my home state. If that goal is reached, it would cut California's emissions from automobiles in half by 2040. And I can't wait for that. That's the news this week. Uh, I have to say surprisingly optimistic. But hey, the Inflation Reduction Act has got me feeling pretty good. You got to take the wins when you can, because honestly, I don't think they come too often. What's the idea? Hey, what's the big idea anyway? What's the idea? What's the idea? What's the idea? What's the big idea? What's the idea? I wonder what's the big idea. Let's get into the big idea. Are we flushing our future down the toilet? That is certainly a dramatic way to put it. But I don't know. Could something as simple as toilet paper really move the needle on climate change? I wonder why this one grabbed a hold of our psyche so hard. Like, what is it about this topic? Well, maybe it's the absurdity of it. Mm. I mean, toilet paper? Toilet paper, many people may not realize, is actually, uh, when, when it comes to major toilet paper brands, made from trees. That's Jennifer Skeen, a forest expert with the NRDC. It's made from virgin forest fiber that, in many cases, is coming from forests that are absolutely critical to meeting global climate targets and to meeting, uh, you know, avoiding catastrophic biodiversity declines. Forests like the the Canadian boreal forest, um, which is not one that many people have heard of, but is, you know, just our our northern neighbor, um, 
it stretches across Canada and into Alaska and, and you know, circles the globe in a, a green crown. And this forest is the most carbon dense terrestrial ecosystem in the world. Um, in Canada alone, the forest locks up twice as much carbon as the world's oil reserves. Uh, it's home to species found nowhere else on Earth, like the boreal caribou. Um, billions of migratory songbirds nest in the boreal. We call it the um, the, the bird nursery. Uh, so each year, the birds that we see in our backyards across the United States um, in the spring and in the fall, they have their summer homes in the boreal. It's a vital forest and you know one that we need to be protecting. And unfortunately, in, in the U.S., it's one that we are literally flushing down our toilets. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I'm a little ashamed to say I don't even think I knew the boreal forest as a concept. Never heard of it. It's ridiculous. I did not know it existed. All right, then. I guess we need to start at the beginning. Jennifer, what is a forest and why is the boreal so important? In, in very broad strokes, there are three big forest biomes in the world. There's the tropical forests um, that many people know about. There's the temperate forests that people in the U.S. often see in their backyards. Um, and then there's the boreal forest, which, as I mentioned, sort of rings the, the Earth's northern hemisphere in this green crown. It's characterized by a lot of evergreen trees, um, you know, spruce, uh, larch, um, birch trees, it's the sort of you know paradigmatic wintertime landscape that you would see on Christmas cards. It even has reindeer. It's this majestic, resilient, staid northern forest at the sort of the top of the world. Just as you're talking about that, I think about the Amazon, right? And we're aware of what's happening there. And I start to think, oh my gosh, like if that goes, we all go. But the same, it sounds, can be true about the boreal. Tell us about the specific, what makes that different from something like the Amazon or the temperate forest you mentioned? Right. So, I mean, this is the crux of the problem, which is over the last 30 years, the global north has largely been able to deflect responsibility for its role in driving catastrophic uh, forest loss to the global south. Um, so we, we've all been paying close attention to what's happening in the tropics. Uh, it's horrendous. It's, it's terrible. But that is not the full story um, because the loss of forests is not confined to the tropics. Um, some of the fastest loss of our climate critical primary and intact forests is happening in the boreal. Um, so the first and third highest intact forest landscape loss in recent years has been in um, Russia and Canada, respectively. When, when I say primary forests, these are forests that have never before been industrially disturbed. Um, and they account for now only about one third of forests that are left on the planet. Um, and they are absolutely irreplaceable for their value for the climate, for biodiversity, for human health. Um, these forests store about 30 to 50% more carbon than forests that have been previously logged. And once they're, once they're gone, they're gone. And that carbon, you know, remains in the atmosphere. The carbon debt can last for centuries. It's just so hard to believe that not only is that happening and not only is it really destructive, but it's happening for something as common as toilet paper. 
it's a really, as I was saying, it feels like a microcosm of the challenge we're dealing with as it relates to climate change. It's everywhere, but it's nowhere at the same time. That's right. It's it's something that's been completely erased um, from international discussions. And, you know, you don't hear it discussed in the context of products like toilet paper, where we're taking these forests, you know, uh, uprooting these centuries old ecosystems that are so vital to a safe and sustainable future for us and flushing them away, uh, you know, using them once um, and then discarding them. It's the epitome of wastefulness, uh, the epitome of, of short-sightedness, and it's it's something that we can no longer afford to ignore. I think a lot of people are under the assumption that, look, trees are a renewable resource. Why can't we just say, look, we'll, we'll plant new trees? I mean, what is it that's so important about this idea of a virgin forest and the, the boreal forest being undisturbed? It's a really good question because one of the most common um, greenwashing tactics. And when I say greenwashing, I mean, uh, you know, corporate um, strategies to downplay their environmental impact or make it sound like they're operating more sustainably than they are. One of the most common talking points is forests are renewable, that we can clear cut a forest, uh, we can plant it, and it's as if uh, nothing had ever happened there. We talk a lot about tree planting and planting the trees to, you know, start absorbing so much carbon. But when you're cutting down these primary forests that are so carbon rich and dumping that carbon into the atmosphere, um, you're talking not about uh, just sort of reducing the ability of a forest to, to help us in the climate crisis, but actually contributing to carbon. And the atmosphere doesn't distinguish between carbon from forests and carbon from smokestacks and tailpipes. What is the process of what we're calling clear cutting? Uh, how is it done? How is it turned into toilet paper? A large proportion of the pulp that we're getting for toilet paper in the United States comes from the Canadian boreal forest. Um, and I'm most familiar with the practices that are happening there. Um, and in the boreal, about 90% of all industrial logging is in the form of clear cut logging or clear cutting, which is when basically an entire landscape is raised. There might be you know, one or two trees left um, to meet certain sustainability criteria as if that is going to make any kind of meaningful difference. And one common myth that we hear from the pulp and paper industry is that, oh, we only use the scraps of what that, the, the lumber industry is using. But that's simply not the case. For one, there's been research showing that in many cases, whole trees are actually going to make uh, tissue pulp. Also, when you look at the economic analysis of it, it doesn't make any sense. A uh, primary economic driver is the pulp and paper industry. So even if there, a tree is being used for multiple uses, and you can't consider it to be a, by, a byproduct, it is a co-product that is absolutely integral to the economic ecosystem of the functioning of the logging sector and a big driver of this expanding sector, especially when you look at the growing tissue markets around the world and the fact that um, the pulp and paper sector is, is having a really meteoric rise uh, in, in demand. During the interview, I was uh, taking the time to learn a lot more about this massive forest biome of which I was previously unaware. Um, so I was Googling the boreal, actually, side note to the side note, 
I wasn't Googling, I was searching using Ecosia, the search engine that plants trees for every search. Ecosia. Is that a plug? Is that a, is that a free plug here? Uh, they don't pay us, but they could. That's the kind of product placement you get when you support the week on Earth. All right. I was searching facts about the boreal, and you want to hear some that I found? I'd love to hear about it. I now feel like I'm an expert after hearing from Jen, but sure, let's hear <laughs> That's true, too. Uh, well, she didn't say this. The boreal forest is named after Boreas, the Greek god of the north wind. Ah, uh, good old Boreas. Learned about him in seventh grade. <laughs> Some of the coolest wildlife in the Canadian boreal include the woodland caribou. That's the reindeer Jennifer mentioned. Also, grizzly bears and wolverines. Wolverines. I'm telling you, when I think of the boreal, I think of one of the most peaceful places on earth. Like, can you imagine just laying down on a nice bed of pine needles, looking up, crisp, mm. cool air? Well, they also have Siberian tigers, so don't get too <laughs> comfortable. I would have assumed Siberian tigers only in Siberia. Well, that's the, I was looking at the map too. It is the, it really is a crown, a circle that it goes all across Canada, cuts through Alaska, and then rings all the way through Russia, Siberia too. Now that we know about the boreal, how awesome it is and how much we need it, it's time to remember that there is a solution here. We don't just have to kill our virgin forests. There are a number of great brands of fully recycled or bamboo toilet paper. And the truth is, we've tried them. Not only have we tried them, I am a continual customer. Now, we're not going to turn this into a commercial, but there are some really great alternative brands on the NRDC Toilet Paper Sustainability Scorecard with an A rating. Brands like Who Gives a Crap, 7th uh, Generation, Trader Joe's Recycled Toilet Paper, Whole Foods, any one of these companies, welcome to sponsor the show. I have to say, this image is fantastic. We'll put it on the website. When you look at a scorecard that says, here are the toilet papers based on sustainability that are an A, and then you notice in a big red F, every toilet paper you use, Scott, uh, Charmin, Quilted, Angel Soft, Kirkland, you realize, Target, what have I been doing? But I have to say, if you didn't know about this story, if you didn't know the impact these toilet papers are having, you're not alone. I, I myself didn't even realize what an impact toilet paper was having until I started um, with, with NRDC and, and had the opportunity to look at these issues very closely. It's certainly not surprising that so few people know about this impact when so much of the narrative is driven by companies that are telling people what kind of toilet paper they should want and misleading people through greenwashing practices, saying everything about the sourcing of this is, is just totally fine. Um, you know, we companies like Procter and Gamble saying they replant a tree or even two trees for every tree that's cut down um, and completely, you know, with their, their billions of dollars of advertising budget, completely flooding, you know, the public uh, discourse with misinformation. So remember, alternatives to virgin forest toilet paper do exist. And although we are not getting paid by them, we reached out to a bamboo paper company to ask them to tell us more about the world of alternative toilet papers 
and why they're better. My name is Christian. We started this company, BetterWay, about three years ago. I'm Eugenia. I am the co-founder of BetterWay. Maybe the easiest way to introduce, you know, more sustainable ideas or awareness to consumers when they're shopping is taking behaviors they already have and just trying to make a very small change to that. So it's almost as if your your toilet paper is the gateway drug to changing people's behavior for the positive. A hundred percent. We actually discussed using the term gateway drug, and then we weren't sure if we yeah. wanted if we wanted to go that way. But now you bring it up. Yes. What is the benefit of bamboo toilet paper over the alternative? It's really due to the fact that it doesn't disrupt major ecosystems when you're cutting it down, yeah. and the fact that it can regrow into maturity within about like two to four years. And so that's kind of like the core issue here, which is when you're cutting down a tree, one typically. These trees are homes and ecosystems to communities and to a large you know, diversity of life. But the second thing is that they take decades or hundreds of years to regrow. And so with bamboo, um, it is a grass. And so it grows from itself, it self-generates. Self and so from this point, you can cut down the stalk of bamboo, but you're not actually disturbing the soil and the plant can regrow from the same stalk that was there originally. That makes sense. And, and what about the process of turning it into toilet paper? Is the process similar with bamboo? It's just a different, you know, raw ingredient? To be honest, it's, it's practically the same. Like at the end of the day, you're harvesting the bamboo stalks. You're cutting them up typically into like uniform pieces. You're taking that, you're turning it into a like a slurry, this like chemical mixture of the product in order to break down the actual lignans and the fibers of the bamboo. And then that is actually dried out and you have your usable fiber. But the actual process of developing the toilet paper is essentially the same. You're just changing one of the inputs and replacing, you know, this virgin pulp for bamboo pulp. Like this is the thing in this episode specifically, I cannot figure out. Like, why have we been doing it the wrong way? I just get frustrated by it. Do you get upset about that? Like, hey, everybody, this is easier and better for everybody. Yeah, it's just so illogical. But at the same time, I like see myself in that position. And I was like, oh, you know, like I had no idea either. Like, that's true. It's all just like generational habits, let's say, you know, essentially like toilet paper was created in the US, I think in like the late 1800s, if I'm not mistaken, 1890s. And it was essentially marketed as this product that you could use after going to the bathroom. And before that, it was just you would use books, like literal like books, things from nature, like leaves, stuff like that. Wow. One of the things, decisions we made when we were starting, which was like, okay, you know, the general norm is that we see white toilet paper. And so we made a conscious choice to start with white toilet paper, knowing that you could do like more of a natural color. Um, but people view like a natural color toilet paper, which would be like a, a brown as weird. Yeah. There's no logic other than it's just we're used to it. Right. And so it's the same thing with toilet paper. It's the same thing with the color of the toilet paper the softness of the toilet paper. That is a really interesting historical perspective on toilet paper. Christian, I know your company's been on a wild ride. You started it just before this thing called COVID. So we launched in January of 2020. And all of a sudden in March of 2020, when COVID you know, really starts to spread globally, toilet paper for some unknown reason becomes gold. And so we just kept running out of stock. We didn't have enough financing. And so our whole first year, year and a half 
was this roller coaster. It was wildly exciting, but it was also wildly stressful. And Ohenia, what's next for Better Way? We're currently in Mexico because we're trying to figure out how we source paper products and just other sustainable products closer to home. How do we bridge that gap and figure out how we can work with closer economies and decentralize the system a little bit, not be so reliant on China? We'll see what comes. We're kind of pretty open to whatever's next. But yeah, for us, just spreading that that gateway drug, as you said, that is toilet paper and now bidets and then opening regular folks up to the whole world of sustainability and all the different things that we can do from whatever our job is or wherever we are in the world or whatever our skill set is into the new, you know, Earth 2.0 system that we need to build together. And how do we move from an extractive society to a regenerative society? If you really want to step up your game on the crapper, not only do you invest in these toilet papers, open your mind to a bidet. A bidet. Your life will never be the same. This is true. And we'll give Ohenia the last word on bidets. Bidets really are life-changing. I really hope you guys try them if you're listening. So that's our show. That's our first show. Now, before you leave, listen, I've been podcasting for 12 years. I have one of the most successful educational podcasts called Smart People Podcast. And the reason I mention it is because this podcast, The Week on Earth, has taken 10 times the effort and work to create. And we are so excited for what is to come. But we're asking you right now to pause and hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen. On Apple Podcasts, just click the plus sign in the top right corner. We're counting on you, our friends, activists, early adopters, to help spread the word and get those big wigs at Apple to take notice of this new little show. Every single follow and share helps. The Week on Earth is produced by Elise Louie with music by Amy Eileen Wood. Special thanks to all of our guests, Jennifer Skeen with the NRDC. Please visit nrdc.org for more information on the toilet paper story and to see all the great work they're doing. Also, thanks to Christian and Ohenia of Better Way. Check them out and try their toilet paper at gobetterway.com. So thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week right here on Earth.